It's one of my favorite places in the world, man. Um, Southampton. I'm going out on a boat with Jeremy Thurswell tomorrow. So that's going to be fun. Really? Yeah. So, it's on so brand. Jer- Jeremy flew private to the Hamptons. Is that what he did? He claims that he flew commerce in his, his text was commerce. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it, man. <laughs> Love Jeremy. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It all started with a rumor, a whisper about a private WhatsApp chat where nine figured entrepreneurs swapped insights information and deals behind closed doors and now for the first time ever these operators are pulling back the curtain on their clandestine world right here on this podcast you're about to witness something truly remarkable a glimpse into the minds and businesses of the world's most successful operators so sit back relax and stay glued to your headphones the chat is about to begin. Uh, all right, boys. So, Mike, you're, this is your topic. Do Absolutely. You, do you want to like tell us where your head's at and what the hell you want to talk about? Because I think Absolutely. it's interesting, but it can go I'm gonna in start so with ways. a story. I'm going to start with a story here. So when we are year two, probably, of the company, we, we say, hey, we should probably go to a trade show. We've never gone to a trade show because we – started as an e-commerce brand, but we should do it. So we go to a trade show and we didn't know, you know, it's like kind of like walking into a knife fight with a water gun or something. We, we, we go to this trade show and, uh, everybody, all of our competitors are building these like hundred thousand dollar booths. We had like six shelves we bought at Ikea <laughs> and, uh, the, the theme of the, the trade show was actually drinkware. So there were probably like 50 different companies at this. It's, it's the international home houseware show. We're at this trade show. And there was a point where we saw some employees from another competitor walking by, pointing and just laughing at our booth. So, which I, I still very much keep as a, a, a chip on my shoulder. But at the end of the first day, because our, our people had walked around the show and really gotten a feel for just how many freaking competitors we had. We had a ton of competitors. And I, I just pulled them together and I basically said, listen, here's the deal. If we are selling water bottles, we are cooked. There is no future here. If we are selling this, if we are selling this mark, the SM, then we've got a great future. And that's pretty much it. And you guys need to all understand that. And so the topic I want to discuss today is how do you build a brand? How do you build something with brand equity? Because that's basically the one moat that matters. Some people listening to this, maybe you've got some kind of regulatory or intellectual property uh, barrier to entry. Um, you probably don't have an economies of scale barrier to entry. And we live in a world where product quality even is not much of a barrier, uh, a, a moat anymore because people are so easily able to create a replica, you know, because of China and just where manufacturing's gotten. And so the, the one defensible moat really is brand. And I think with all of us, this is something that we've spent a lot of time thinking about and we've approached it maybe even different ways. So here's the topic for today. Deep dive operators. How do you build a brand? How do you build brand equity? Mike, I I love this. 
Mike, I love this because um, actually one of the most flattering things that anyone has ever said to me was a text from you early December last year when you said that Hexclad has put on a masterclass in brand building last year. I was and I really, sincerely really meant it. One of the most touching texts that I've ever had in my career. Like I literally like I get misty just thinking about it because last year was this I mean we had we've had a few really incredible years but last year was just like really special and it's rolled into this year better than I could have ever possibly imagined and it's all because we took a good product and we managed to create a brand around it and it wasn't one thing that we did. It was a fuck ton of things, but all those things together with the right raw material and good execution has turned Hexclad into a brand. We are the number one searched for cookware brand on Google. Um, we are all over social media. Um, one of those things was all the conversations I had with Sean about influencer. I think influencer was a massive brand building exercise for us. So I think that's huge, but it's also, again, you have to have a good product. Influencer works for us because people love the pan. They love the Hexclad pan. You guys, most of you guys use it. People in the chat use it. They all love the product. You can see the product. It's like the Ridge Wallet. Like it looks different. Mm -hmm. When I first saw Ridge Wallet uh, in June of 2020, when Austin Harrison from North Beam came to my office and he showed me this wallet, I'm like, I need that fucking wallet, you know? And it started with the product. And I mean, I, I don't want to take up, there's a million things I can hit on this topic and I'm going to give someone else a turn, but we started 2022 saying, okay, we're getting better at performance marketing and we think we can build a brand. And um, it actually starts with Danny because Danny always had it in his mind. There was this picture of Johnny Cash getting out of Folsom prison, get prison giving the finger. It's a pretty famous, iconic photo. And that's always what Danny wanted for the brand, right? Cole just wanted to make money. So did Danny, but Danny wanted to make Hexclad into that badass cookware brand. And that was his mantra from the day I met him. And I'm like, I love it. I don't know if it's gonna work. And he was right. And part of it is the look. Then we got Gordon, he's the consummate badass in the kitchen. Um, and so that was like, that was the goal from the beginning. Like, let's be the badass cookware. We're not your grandmother's cookware. Your grandmother can be a badass. Your daughter can be a badass, but it's the badass cookware brand. And, and then we, we delivered that message to a small branding agency at the end of 2021. And like, they wrote a manifesto and like, they just got us. It was like, hair standing up on the back of your neck. It's like, wow, you get me. And we went to work with them. I mean, we've probably spent like 150 grand with them by now over a year and a half. It's not that much. Um, 
the initial study was like 35 to 40. And that set us up to then have one of the things that I will take credit for is pushing very hard to define our value propositions in every way. Um, and then in all of our messaging and then taking that into the new website build and saying, fuck it, we are all in on the dark mode because that's what our pan looks like. And I had Zach from Homestead and Sean and other people like questioning that move. And we're just like, this is it. We're going to fucking own it. And, you know, we're growing faster this year than last year, which is absolutely mind blowing. Like, I just can't believe it. And I was just talking to Niles yesterday, my my chief of staff and, and right hand guy. And we're like, OK, we got to start crunching some numbers to see how many customers we need to acquire next year. Like, because it's just going to get fucking harder. Right. So Dude, I was anyway. I was wondering that. The other day, I was actually thinking of you, Jason. I'm like, when does this rocket that is hexclad hit their first ceiling? Yeah, the, and it's like, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was just gonna say the the way Jason's gonna get around that is is uh, LTV, right? You're gonna launch something else. You're yeah. you're gonna launch the iPhone too, right? You're gonna launch something that that oh, people totally. like. I have. I I. And you're gonna get them to buy multiple from you again, but yeah. I just love that he's thinking about it, right? Yeah, he's yeah. like, well, shit, we got to look at how many customers we need to acquire next year. This like, is what like, I we actually need about. to do some math now. <laughs> this is the investment back banking background, right? Like mm. this is what people ask, you know, what, 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 what do I bring to the table? Like this is just the way, this is the way I've programmed because I've analyzed hundreds of businesses over the years. And these are like, these are, this is basic stuff, guys. This isn't rocket science. I'm not that smart. This is like, Focus on the like the basic important stuff, and and stop dwelling on like minutia. Yeah, what we so, do is we look at. Uh, sorry, we go to the next point. I was going to say, Sean, I want to hear your your thoughts on brand because I think you've done a world class job at this too. And I, I and just Mike, wanna, before you can... Sean goes, I just want to I want to close off something Jason said because I don't think we're going to talk a lot about it, but I just want to make the point. I want to highlight it and underline it. If you don't have an excellent product then you are not going to be able to build a brand or you shouldn't even try to build a brand. Start with an excellent product. A lot of things we're going to talk about here are going to take for granted that your foundation is an excellent product. And so you should put all of your effort and all of your energy into having a truly exceptional product before you worry about any of the other things that we're going to talk about. So I just want to make that point to everybody listening, start with product, then all of these other things are going to matter a lot. Okay, Sean, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to talk about the, the, the TAM size, right? Average, we look at how many cities we have to acquire in a, in a given day, week or month, right? And like, you know, we're acquiring over a million new customers a year, right? Several million. It's like, okay, so I have to get everyone in Austin to buy my product. And then next year, I have to get everyone in San Antonio to buy my product. And that's the way you can start like thinking about that. But when, you, when you're Hexclad and you're adding, you know, I'm just going to make up an upper 10 million. You're running a Los Angeles every year. It's like, okay, there's only a couple of those in America. You have to go international and you have to focus on repeat, right? So anyway, I think, yeah, you, you definitely at a, at, at a very big scale have to think about true, true servable market. But about the, the brand stuff, yesterday I talked to the, uh, the CFO of a public footwear company, 
right? And we were talking about brand, right? Like, and, and when we say brand, it's, it's the capital B brand, right? We all run brands, but we're talking about this special superpower that is capital B brand. And he made the point that he didn't realize footwear was so uh, fashion forward, right? He's like, he, he comes from a, a more traditional background where he, he talked about function versus fashion, right? And when Mike's saying about you have to have a great product, you need a functional product. You need a product that serves a function to people's lives, right? Because it's very difficult to play the fashion game, right? Like mm. the fashion game is, is, is cyclical, right? Sales go up, sales go down. And he's like, I wish we would have more of a focus on the fundamentals and function of footwear, right? Uh, so a good example is Dyson. Dyson's a great brand, right? Because they are so function forward. Or Apple is a great brand because it's function forward. They make fantastic products consistently and that builds, builds brand affinity, right? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Matt? You want to jump in? I was just going to say, but in each one of these examples, they also combine the, I wouldn't say fashion, but they definitely combine, like there's a lustful design like design first like create that emotional response in each of them you know like lululemon is like functional shitloads of like like ip all of it but like no they like they nail the like the fashion part too i would argue hexclad nails the like the look and the like you want that like that pan looks badass right the site looks badass ridge wallet functional sure but like the stuff looks awesome. There's a, there is that element to each one of those brands still. They've, they started with the function, but right. they so, killed it on the other piece. Yeah. So, so I guess my, my thesis on this is great brands start with a is truly superior functional improvement, right? Because yes, like Dyson, Apple, Lululemon, Hexclad, like they're all actually best in class and then they elevate it with fashion yeah. or aesthetic or whatever else. Right. And what I'm trying to get at is it's really hard to do that with basic t-shirts. It's really hard to do that with hats, right? Like things that are not functionally better off the shelf from China, because like, if you build brand around that, you're building brand around the fashion element. That's the only way to do it, right? Um, and there's really great. I, I'm just talking about, you know, Mad Happy, awesome brand, you know, great stuff. Is it functionally better or is it just sweats, right? And I, I like Mad Happy. Friends with the guy, super good. But that's the thing you have to think about, right? Like, why is Viore crushing it? Like, why is Viore worth four billion dollars and going to IPO in two years? It's because on the fabric level, they are best in class. And everyone tells me that from Lululemon, from other competitors, they're like, yeah, we wish we were more like Viore from the fabric aspect. So then they can build a brand around that. But I think it has to start with function like, like Mike's talking about. Um, and the next thing I'll say is about, you know, uh, start with a, a, a group of, of pros and create products for them, right? That's how you actually elevate function. Our first people to embrace the Ridge wallet was everyday carry. People, people who wear, who use guns or knives or like or, or whatever, right, in their day to day lives. That's why I bought everydaycarry.com because those people backed our Kickstarter ten years mm -hmm. ago, right? Uh, you have to create things for the pro, and then eventually you reach the rest of the consumer base. But Matt, what are your thoughts on brand? I think the prosumer thing is really smart. Like we did that with Lomi. We're like, let's who's our who's our like prosumer? Um, we actually got that move. It was it was DJI. You know the people that make drones. 
Yes. Like we watched, we were looking at like, who does this really well? Like who's, who has this like die hard 10 to 20% of the customers who are going to be the brand voice? Like they are just going to like tell everybody about it. They're like, who's your CrossFitter or your vegan or like uh, now your cold plunge person? That's like it for your brand, right? They won't shut up about it. And DJI just kills it on this front. Like they focus on the drone nerd. And it's like they make products for the drone nerd and that's they they built their and that's an incredible company by the way like you want to watch like a master class on like interacting with your community holy hell dji they're unreal and so like with lomi we're like okay who's who do we think this is going to be right and we're like hobbyist gardeners there's like these people that like want to grow their own tomatoes they're and like they, then they're everywhere. They have condos, they live in homes, whatever. So the prosumer thing, Sean, I think is great. I do want to ask a question to you guys. Because Mike, you started off. I, I want to know if you if you all believe this to be a hundred percent true. Do you believe that uh that brand is the thing that consumers should like consumer entrepreneurs should be looking to build mode around? Like, is that the number one thing that they should be thinking about? Or is it the is it the thing that they're likely only going to be able to do? Here's what I want to talk about for Phil. Have either of you guys passed an audit? Have are you do you guys have audited financials? Okay. I could not get audited financials. Uh we spent probably over a million dollars last year on accounting services, right? Uh and a lot of that went to Armanino, our accounting firm, to get our, our books ready to be audited. And then some of it went to Moss Adams to audit those books. This was for 2021. We could probably pass it on for 2022. But, uh, you know, wh why did that cost me so much money? Why did it cost me a million dollars? And I still probably couldn't pass that audit. It's because of the way we bought inventory. Uh, we did not have an ERP. We were not measuring inventory into our business, through our business, out of our business. It was done via spreadsheets. And I bet a lot of brands listening to this right now are like, yeah, that's how we do it. <laughs> you place a PO and it kind of shows up and no one's matching it back. Like all of these stupid fucking accounting things uh, that apparently the world really cares about. And I've told some people this, we had a offer to buy Ridge for hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And that's why we spent a million dollars auditing it. It was like, okay, fine. We'll go through this process. If someone's going to give us multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, great. We'll go through this, right? Uh, luckily, the market kind of fell apart before the audit was supposed to get done. So that company, that offer, you know, kind of poofed away with that company's valuation. Uh, but I couldn't pass an audit because we did not have systems in place, right? So in a different world where the, the market held strong, I probably would have missed out on hundreds of millions of dollars because I couldn't pass an audit. So that's why we signed with Fulfill at some point in 2021 to, to get us ready because we knew this audit and shit was coming. And now we run all of our inventory purchasing, right? One, it's an order management system. So it helps us reroute to the appropriate you know, warehouse, right? So order comes into our website and it has a customized wallet attached to it that can only be filled out of one warehouse. Fulfill takes care of that, right? If it's a split order, Fulfill's taking care of all that, saves money and time on, you know, tickets or whatever. But the big thing is we do all of our inventory purchasing for it now and we have true costs per PO. We track that inventory through our system and apparently that helps you pass audits. So don't waste a million dollars on shitty accounting fees and 
uh, if you ever get an offer for hundreds of millions of dollars, don't let an audit be the thing that gets in the way. The way that we try to evaluate brand, and I really think this is the best way to, to do it at this point, is instead of looking at sales, it's looking at uh, how many people are proactively searching for your product in one way or another, saying, uh, I want to buy Simple Modern. And so uh, I combine our Google search volume, which you can, you can get. There's ways you can get to it. And same with Amazon, there's ways you can get to it. And at this point, we have... Um, over a million searches that happen uh, every month between those two platforms of people saying, you know, simple modern tumbler, simple modern water bottle. And to me, that's a customer that's really saying I'm all in on this brand. Like I want, not just, I want to buy a water bottle and I happen to choose simple modern, but I want a simple modern water bottle. And so one of the things that I, I also like, we'll use this opportunity to say, cause I'm, I'm kind of a, a numbers guy. People will say things that drive me crazy, like they don't have a brand or they have a brand. And I always think that's stupid. Like this is a spectrum, right? It's it's not about do you have a brand or not. It's about how much brand uh, have you been able to develop. And the goal, obviously, is that the magnitude of how many people are all in on your brand just keeps growing. But to me, Jason... I don't think I ever dreamed that we would get to a point that there would be a million people every month that would say, I really want to buy Simple Modern, you know, and, uh, and I guess one other thing that I'm not, I'm not even taking into account is how many organic people are coming to our website at that point when I say a million. So maybe I would throw that in as well, like organic website visitors, plus Amazon searches, plus Google searches, roll that all together. That gives you a feel of how much critical mass of people uh, are really all in on your brand. There's also one other thing I'll say is we do also pay twice annually. We we do a semi-annual thing where we look at aided and unaided brand awareness uh, and try and have an understanding. Sometimes like if you watch Yeti's earnings report, they'll talk about these kind of things. And so we try and track out, hey, uh, where are we relative to our competitors and what's the trend line on on those numbers? Sean? Well, I want to go back to Matt's first question, which is, is brand a moat? And is that a moat you should invest in? And then Mike brought up the famous Sean Frank quote, brand doesn't matter until you get to $50 million a year. And I want to break down brand into uh, functional and fashion. I, I think, I think uh, you know, brand is an ice cream sundae, right? And there's toppings, which is fashion. And then there's the ice cream, which is the core, right? The reason why I think brand doesn't matter. Like like when, when I say those terms, brand doesn't matter if it gets to 50 million. I'm talking about the toppings, right? I'm talking until you nail down the functional winning aspects of your product, the other shit doesn't matter because it's not going to last, right? How many hot brands have come out and then have gone away completely? And some of them stick around in our minds, right? Like the Ed Hardys of the world, right? For being so outlandish. But there's hundreds every single year that come out that just mean nothing to nobody, right? But if you look at like, you know, Hoka is a 12-year-old brand, right? Like they've been making ugly ass shoes forever because they're trying to make the best shoe, right? They're not trying to make the hottest shoe or the coolest shoe. It just so happens the stars align. If you do it long enough, the stars will align and you will have that fashion component that takes over and you'll see, you know, people in New York wearing your shoes, but they really, their core focus was the function. We're going to make a brand that's known for being the best shoes, right? I think New Balance is a great example of this, right? New Balance has just been like, yeah, we make ugly ass shoes for dads. Like we're going to do that forever. And then it, 
every 12 years, the stars will align and will become a fashionable brand, right? But I think so often people want that like cool photo shoot, like hot, hot girls on Instagram talking about us. Like, no, that is the toppings. That is whipped cream and sprinkles and, and, and cherries. And let's just make sure our ice cream isn't spoiled, right? Let's just make sure we have the core function down. And so in that aspect, Ridge has spent 13 years on the functional part of our brand, right? Like, what do we sell? Why do we sell it? Why should people buy from us, right? And then we can talk about, like, what does our brand mean? What does our, our brand stand for? And we're doing a really big rollout over the next 18 months, like re redefining what our brand is, like what those toppings are going to be. I think for a long time, we didn't know if we we're making a sundae or pizza. We had fucking cheese and whatever thrown on top of there. But I think we actually understand who we are now. So tying into Jason's point, have we reached escape philosophy? Not at all. <laughs> like we, I, I was talking to the public, you know, CFO and he's like, I've never heard of your brand. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, bro, you're a 40 year old rich guy. You're like, a dude. You're, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, you're the exact <laughs> person I'm trying to go John, I also love that. I love, I love hearing that when people haven't heard of your brand. Uh, when people haven't heard of oh, our brand, I love that. I, I am seeing more, more often now. People will, people. Ne I talked to people last year; they didn't know us. I mean, like nine out of ten, nine point five out of ten didn't know us, right? Now it's like two out of ten know us. Mm -hmm. But I think escape velocity. You, I think you do have a level of it because your customer acquisition cost is stable or declining, right? You're able yeah. to. Your 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 mer is higher this year, right? Like I think that's a big factor in escape velocity. It's am I able to spend more and be as efficient or less efficient or or more efficient on on additional spends? And like for us, and I talk to people about this all the time because it was just a stat that blew me away when I saw it. It's the number two reason when we ask people in our post-purchase survey, how'd you hear about Hexclad? It's friend, family, coworker. Yeah. To me, that's a big part mm -hmm. of the escape velocity. So uh, maybe there's different levels. Like Mike was going through the levels of the rocket launch. Maybe right, like, right. we got to define the levels of escape velocity, Mike. Right. You know, we I think one thing on the growth thing, Jason, that you mentioned, it's funny when you're, this is a counterintuitive thing about owning a brand. Uh, you simultaneously are kind of offended and kind of excited when somebody hasn't heard of you. And, and here's why. When you talk to somebody and they have heard of you, like if, if everybody you talk to, Jason, had heard of Hexclad, you know what that would make you feel? That'd make you feel concerned. Because <laughs> how am I going to grow? Like, right, where's that growth going to come from? Who are those prospective customers that are out there if everybody already knows about me? And so there's, there's always some excitement. I think for me, when I talk to somebody who has heard the brand, because I'm like, that's great, we're making progress. But then there's other times like I'm walking around Italy and I'm just, I, I always, the, the thing that's cool about me is I can visually see how we're doing as a brand. Like I can go to Disneyland and I can count bottles in, in, in strollers and in people's backpacks and just say, what percentage do we make up out here? And I've, I've been able to steadily kind of track how we're doing. But the, the takeaway I have from every vacation is we're growing and the market's so freaking big. We're still so small in this market. And it, so it's simultaneously encouraging of like, hey, we're actually making progress, but there is so much room for us to continue to grow, which is motivating. You know, Jason, you said something earlier that I think is really worth highlighting. 
Cause I don't, you didn't say the word, but like everything you talked about to me is like the cornerstone of brand building, which is you, you have done things so consistently, right? Like that is the, that is the word. Like if you're going to build a brand, you better be consistent in whatever you do, right? Like you guys decided like, this is the attitude that we're going to have. This is how we're going to talk. These are our value propositions. Like this is how we're going to look. And then you just do it so consistently and across all channels. And I think Sean, you do that well. And I think Mike, you know, simple modern is turning into a brand. I think you started with like, we got a killer product and now it's like, it's growing into a brand. That's like my one thing. I think that if you're listening to this, like building a brand takes time, you know, and Jason, like Lomi is not old enough to be anywhere near escape velocity. Like I'm actually still in, I got to build the category first before we build a brand. Like I actually like, we had to name our fucking category. Like we had to come up with words. We're like smart waste. That's what the category is. Everybody's what the hell is that? I'm like, oh shit, this is going to take some work and some time. But the funny thing is, is now I'm seeing our, we have like some competitive products coming out and they're all calling themselves smart waste devices. Hmm. Right. And then, and then Jason, to your point, the thing I care most about when building a brand is like, is, is I heard about it from a friend or family member in my like top two or three sources of new users. If and as long as that's true, here. I'm happy. A few things that I love about Sendline first, um, it's a premium product at affordable prices. You know, like that's how we built the simple modern brand was, hey, we're going to make something that's as good as anything out there, but we're going to make the pricing affordable. It's definitely true about Sendlane. Run by an operator that's got 14 years of email experience. He ran a, a D2C company. So he really understands that their team really understands what their customers need and want. They built a product based on their experiences. And I, I think it's been mentioned on this show before, but like they do a great job of engaging with the community via the social platforms, you know, Twitter, I guess threads now, whatever. Um, they really t are talking to people and asking them what they want. Uh, recently they rolled out reviews as a free add on to what they were, they were offering already. And then, you know, uh, Clavio really quickly, like a week later, two weeks later, rolled it out, but it costs money with Clavio. but it's a good example of, I think they're really listening to their customer. Um, I, I think that when you're buying any software solution, because, you know, even though you can switch, switching costs are real, like you got to train people on a new platform uh, and it's just, it's a hassle always to switch. So I really try and pay attention to what is the, not just where is the product right now, but what's the trajectory of the product? I'm really impressed with the trajectory of their product. They've gone from not on my radar um, to being very impressed with what they're building over the last six months, just because of the trajectory and the rate of development. Um, and so it's not just like, Hey, where's the software that you're committing to? Where's it today? It's, where's it going to be six months, uh, a year from now? Finally, uh, I've, I've done email. Um, I've invested in email, uh, providers. Um, and I would say the number one danger in email is, if you get poor deliverability, all this segmenting, all these hacks, all, you know, tricks and, and tips, none of that matters if you don't have good deliverability. And if you're trying to pick an email provider 
You need somebody who really gets deliverability and knows how to troubleshoot deliverability issues. Uh, and they're really strong. Their in-house uh, team that can diagnose and help with deliverability issues is really strong. And uh, they share some of that content uh, even publicly, which is really helpful. So big fan of Sendlane, big fan of people building uh, exceptional products. Your net promoter score, I mean, I, I think net great promoter one. score is absolutely, you should be looking at that, measuring that and understanding what are the things. Our, our website net promoter score is 92. That's yeah. why. You know, like why is Simple Modern, why even though I really am not very good at brand building, like I didn't have any experience and I'm kind of figuring it out on the fly. Like, why has this all worked? It's, it's simple. We have a 92 NPS. You know, when you have a 92 NPS, you can just screw a ton of stuff up because basically what a 92 means is that almost everybody that buys your product not only loves it and feels like they got better value for the money uh, than they could have expected, but they want to tell other people about it. And so you guys talk to me all the time about, hey, how, how in the world do you not spend any money on marketing? Like, how does this work? It's like, well, people do it for us. You know, it's evangelistic kind of word of mouth from other people. And that's why we've been able to continue to grow so much, even though we, we spent so, so little on marketing. Now, hopefully we in the next phase, we get better and more scaled and being able to tell our own story. But we, if you have an unbelievable product and an unbelievable NPS, that's one way where you can grow a brand organically. Mike, how like, can people find their NPS? I think you got yeah, it's like you have to ask that. your customers, Jason. There's like, so there's a, I think there's NPS is just one question, eh, Mike? It used to be three. Now it's, now it's, it's typically one. one. And, and the one is on a scale of zero or one to 10, how likely are you to recommend? Uh, the ridge to friends and family. And then the way that it's calculated is basically you have um, three buckets of people. There's like kind of brand advocates, neutral, and then brand detractors. So brand detractors are anything from zero to five, I think usually. And that's basically saying they count as a negative on your score. And then there's brand neutrals that are like six or six or seven, and then um, eight, nine and 10 are all kind of positive. So imagine you surveyed a hundred people. Your net promoter score is how many people were in the eight, nine or 10 bucket minus however many people were in the, Z, the one to five bucket. And so you can see, and it's, and it's out of a hundred. So you can see how 92 is just absurd. Basically to get a 92, what you have to have, like to get a 92, you would have to have a uh, 90, 95 people in the eight, nine, or 10, like a couple of people in the uh, six or seven, and then three people in the one through five range. That's That would be the breakdown to get to something like a 92. Um, and, and obviously, like if that's the way that customers are rating you, then you're going to be in good shape. I and you like can, there are apps with Shopify that like we use an app with Shopify that automatically sends out to purchasers to track this, but there's also services that you can hire to go out there and, and do yeah. more broad ranging. You know what's, what's crazy about your score, Mike? Like I feel like Roomba, I remember looking at one of their quarterly, like their public reports, they do like $1.6 billion a year. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's a, not a small business, right? I think their NPS was like a five. <laughs> oh, it's which is still, and they were proud most of that. Companies are negative in NPS. Yeah. They like, were so uh, proud of that, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I saw it. I'm like, fuck, that's pretty good, you know. So to yeah. hear yours is like, 
a nine. Amazon, Apple, these are like 60s, high 60s, 70s. Yeah. It's, it's very, very, very difficult to get above. Jason, I bet yours is very range. high. The gold we had some data. good NPS data a while back. I think we were using something that where we could get it, but we stopped it for some reason. So I haven't seen it in a while. I'm, I'm going to go figure it out and let you guys know. You know, I all think right. we'll all, all of you guys too, like, uh, I, I do think Jason, part of what is working so well for Hexclad is you, you did sort of redefine the category a bit, like, you know, and, and. Because category creation, I mean, Sean, you guys are definitely a category creator. Like when your brand is searched more than the category you're in, you built a new one. <laughs> like when Ridge is searched, like you're searched more than wallet, right? Like that, that's how you know that like you created a new category. And I think Jason, you're probably starting to see that too with Hexclad is like, because like I see that your, your pattern of your pan, it's like everywhere. I love TikTok cooking videos, like I love watching them. That is like my freaking guilty pleasure is like quick cut food <laughs> production. I love it. And Hexclad is freaking everywhere. And you don't even have to say it anymore. It's just like you're there. Yeah. If you're searched more than your category, either you're doing something right or you chose the wrong category. So yeah, with, with wallets, we just chose the wrong category. People do not care about wallets. So it's pretty easy to dominate. No, uh, but that means you chose the right category, Sean. I think you're, that's being way too, like you're, you're beating yourself up. You chose the right category. You chose something entirely unsexy that nobody gives a shit about. And then you made them care about it. And like you built there's a, a there's a really there. good rubric for like entrepreneurs listening to this which is when you're getting started pick something very niche that you can go in where the number of really really competent competitors is going to be small and you can learn all the fundamentals and learn the blocking and tackling and be successful and then take that and apply that to a much bigger much more competitive category and so you know sean you're kind of doing that also like you you dominated wallets and rings is a, a much bigger category and a much uh, more competitive category i think i would say but you're doing really well in it but a lot of that is you're using all these fundamentals that you learned dominating the wallet category right oh yeah i mean you know we can immediately launch rings and you know do half to match the biggest competitor in the space like the first full year of the business because we got like really good. And you guys talked to Connor yesterday. We got really good at doing shit that's really hard, right? But I want to take it back about five minutes, 10 minutes. Jason said something and I would like to uh, reframe that as like a test to prove if you have brand power or not or escape velocity or whatever you want to talk about. Can sales go up and marketing spend go down at the same time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, That has never happened to the D2C darlings, right? They spend more and their sales are still going down, right? So mm -hmm. we call that defined gravity internally at Ridge and it's a gold standard that we're trying to achieve. We've done that for the past couple of years or you know, two, two out of the past three years we've defied gravity where we can, this year we will spend less than last year and sales will be up at least 50%. And we're like, oh, holy shit, we've defied gravity. You don't need escape velocity if there's no gravity, right? Um, so that's like that's like a good test. And it's really fucking hard to do. And, and may maybe you don't need to actually go that extreme, but can the percentage of your revenue that you spend on marketing stay stable while revenue climbs? Like that is... Or you know, or, or or your percentage of marketing spend goes down while your revenue climbs. Like dollars, real dollars can still go up, but like that is like holy shit, we've unlocked some brand moment. Brand is the only X factor that can get that done.
hundred percent. And one thing that's worth mentioning on that note, you know, like Sean, you mentioned the DTC darlings. Like, why is that? When we talk about brand, uh, I think I think there's two pieces of it. There's do people know who you are, and then how do they feel about that, and does it compel action? Right. So I, I think almost everybody knows who Allbirds is at this point, right? The problem is that it, it's not necessarily compelling action. And so in one, one sense, you could say they have a great brand in terms of just aided and unaided recognition. Their numbers would be really high. But what's borne out over the last two years is that they don't have a great brand when it comes to compelling action. And it turns out that's what matters because that's what makes your business run. I'm just looking at like all the early decisions we made using North Beam to get to where we are today when we were like 30 million and and 50 million in sales and and that's you know that's sort of where it we started using it heavily and it really helped us and i'm i'm just thinking back to some early advice that i received from other people not north theme when our facebook roas was like sub 1 and they're like you're losing money you you cannot spend this money and every time i think about this i'm like actually if we had listened to those people we would have destroyed the business. And I, you know, I give, and Danny and I didn't know that much back in 2020. I think we've learned a lot since then. And, you know, without North Beam and looking at that complete picture of everything, we really would have destroyed our business uh, by, by listening to the wrong people and not, not at least having one source of truth in, in North Beam. Right. Well, I would say Away, Allbirds, a couple of the other ones, they, they don't have the function piece down, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they spent money to, to buy brand and they had the fashion piece, right? Like, oh, Away was hot because everyone else had Away. Like, I'm going to follow that crowd. But functionally, they, like, they, they didn't have something that made them special or stand out. And like they didn't build for the, for, for the prosumer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh so i mean just i want to ask does anybody we're coming up on time here and this has actually been a good like single topic thing do we want to go anywhere else with this topic or should we should we call it and this i I think is like a single thing this is great the point i wanted to make is a really good way to think about where to start a business is to look at an industry that has terrible net promoter scores and launch a company that doesn't suck that's it that's the whole piece of advice look for where are people generally dissatisfied with the operators and the options that are in the market and where you could do it at a higher level and launch into that. And that is a tried and true formula to find white space and opportunity. We, people tend to think about white spaces, white spaces where there's no competitors. If you're trying to go where there's no competitors, good luck. You're probably going to end up in a place that you don't want to be because there's no demand. Where there's demand, there will be competitors. Your goal is not to avoid competition. Your goal is to find a place where the competition is inept and you can beat it. And so low net promoter scores are an indication that the competition, the other firms in doing providing services in that industry, whatever it is, that they can be beaten and that you can beat them. So you can use MPS almost like a metal detector to kind of find where a good place to launch a business is. Well, that's, I think that's really interesting, Mike. I think it ties into Matt's first point. His first question about 
moats, right? So what moats can exist? Uh, regulatory, so if the government gives a monopoly to somebody, uh, infrastructure, right? Amazon has an infrastructure moat, right? Uh, you know, technology, right? It's very hard to compete with Apple because their their AirPods work with their phone, works with their computer. And I think the fourth moat is brand, right? And, you know, I want to talk about Comcast as an example. Nobody likes them. Nobody's happy, right? Like they have a brand that's horrible, right? But because of the infrastructure moat, they are not disrupted, right? Starlink will disrupt them, right? Starlink will come out with a technology moat, right? And even if you hate Elon Musk, is his brand worse than Comcast's brand? No, the, the, the technology moat will destroy the infrastructure moat. And John, anyone four- that hates Elon Musk, should get their head examined. They need therapy. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that. They they need therapy. How could you hate someone that has created so much value in this world? Like he's, he's a category builder, man. And I don't know how I, I'm I'm with you, Jason. Like you don't need to like everything he says, but you can't look at the guy and say like he hasn't he's moving the world. Like he's actually yeah. moving the world. Right. Like, I like this. This isn't supposed like, to be the Elon Musk defending podcast. All right. I know, but uh, I know. I, I had a really good it's friend. It's incredible. I had a really good friend the other day. Like, we're sitting around my house, like, having a, I don't know, having a glass of wine, and the name Elon Musk came up. And she just looked at me, like, with that cringy face. And I'm like, if you hate Elon Musk, you're just on it. You're just ill informed. I just had to say. Okay. All right. Well, so we we should pivot the conversation then to uh, Jason wanted to talk about the Brie brand to X, right? Yeah, uh, this is a perfect time to talk about it. Yeah, oh, that was and, mine. That oh, was, was I, like we were talking brand. I'm like, uh, you know, it it's an interesting move. Uh, people basically puked the morning he did it. Like there was a collective puking because, like, you know, everybody there's a certain population that loves Twitter. What do you guys think? Like, I, I mean, I, I I know the reason why. Like, he's trying to be the everything app, right? Like, how do I be the the WeChat in the rest of the world? Um, but like, was this the move? Well, as brand I'll, builders? Clar- I'll clarify that. I think Elon Musk is the a generational builder who has who has pushed technology so forward and forced mass adoption of things that people didn't think were possible, right? The electric car or whatever. And the everything app, I'm going to China tonight. Uh, they have everything apps. Like the yep. app you use to message, the app you use to pay for stuff is also TikTok. Like they have 10 different live stream feeds in there, right? So th- those everything apps exist. My take is, and I think this is probably a controversial take, but I was offered SpaceX shares. I think we all were in chat. So yep. I was like, hey, there's some SpaceX shares. We know what it's going to IPO at. And it is higher than everyone is anticipating, right? I think Elon Musk is actually worth probably $400 billion, right? So I think he's worth probably double what the estimates are. And everyone's like, he's going to go bankrupt. He bought Twitter for four hundred or $40 billion or whatever. And it's like, I think he is unbelievably wealthy. I think he can have as much fun as he wants. And I think he literally bought the app to have fun, right? To do his jokes, to change it, to do whatever. So it doesn't matter if he ruins it. It doesn't matter if he drives people off or, or, his, or his whatever. He is he is beyond winning. Now he can only do things that he thinks are fun. And I think that's where he's operating from. Uh, so yeah, I think 
Do I think X is going to be a successful app? Do I think Twitter is going to be a successful app? I have no fucking idea. But we're dealing with somebody who who has built cars and satellites and fucking everything. And I think he just wants to have a little fun. So that's that's my take. But He bought a toy. Sean's take yeah. is Elon bought a $40 billion toy. Some people buy a car. <laughs> yeah, Elon buys Dude. a social media network. The on on this point, you know, Sean, you were talking about different types of moats. There's probably a few more that you didn't mention, but you know, one of one of the moats that can exist, and we have seen this, is network effects. Like, oh yeah, once and and in some ways, this rebrand is a bet on network effects. It's just saying, listen, people have built up their network here. They've built up the habit of doing that. It doesn't matter what it's called. They're still going to use it, and at least so far, that's been true of me. Like. It doesn't matter if I if the the little icon is a bird or an X or whatever else, the fundamental underlying service, I'm pretty locked in. And some of that's because I've built, you know, I've built a huge network there and I've built a huge, uh, you know, kind of social graph there. And and that's not just going to transfer over to threads or somewhere else. And so I'm absolutely going to continue. He can call it whatever he wants and I'm going to continue to use it because of that, because of that mode. Guys, yeah, I got, I think- I've got two points here. Sean, you want to go first? I, you can say I got, I can save mine. Go ahead, Sean. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I would call that moat audience. I think audience is a huge moat, and I think that's what you're talking about, Mike. But go ahead, Jason. So two things: number one on the rebrand, and number two on why Elon bought Twitter. Okay, uh, number one. Let's X. I, I was I didn't like it for like the first day. I was like, what's going on here? This is weird. People are generally resistant to change. It's like when you see the new model of a car and of a car that you kind of really like the old model. BMW does this shit all the time. They change the yep. front grille. I'm like, this looks terrible. And it grows on you. And you're like, wow. So there's some really smart people out there that get this. I don't, but it fucking works. And I think X is a great rebrand. And I think the bird was stupid in the first place. It didn't make any sense to me unless it's like a carrier pigeon dropping notes, which is like what I need to clean up my comms. But like, (laughs) I just fucking think it's silly. I thought the bird was silly. I wonder if he's able to change the URL. Uh, So I've got a totally, I've got a really hot take on this, uh, on the bird thing. So here's, here is one of the things that will trigger me with, with when people talk about brand. They'll talk about it as if most brands, there is some brilliance that happened in the design stage or in the word they picked. Wrong. False. That meaning and that importance and those emotions that you associate with those things have been imputed upon it over time by the product, not the other way around. Starbucks logo is objectively terrible. It's a freaking weird green mermaid. What does that have to do with coffee? Nothing, but it's a great logo. Why is it a great logo? Because it's Starbucks logo and because we all know it and because we all associate it with the coffee, right? And I see this all the time. Anytime we talk about brand internally with the company, there's a bunch of different opinions. You can never get to consensus. And people like to talk about these things as if, Every once in a while, guys, there's a logo where you're like, hey, that's brilliant. The FedEx logo, right, with the arrow in it. Okay, that's that's the exception. But most logos, it's nothing like that. Most brand names, it's nothing like that. The reason why we think they're great branding is because they became a great brand. Case in point, 
the air movie that they had on uh, Amazon about the signing of Michael Jordan. There's two great scenes in there uh, where they talk about the swoosh and they talk about the just do it. And in both cases, they make a point where like key leaders within Nike are like, I don't know, just do it. That kind of sounds stupid, you know, or like it, they have one scene where Affleck who pay, plays um, the shoe dog himself is like, yeah, when I first saw the swoosh, I was like, it's okay. You know, maybe it'll grow on me. That's the line. Maybe it'll grow on me. And I just want to make that point to everybody listening that these things that seem iconic and obvious now, they never were at the point that they were created. It's a great uh, point. Originally we were called bridge wallet, but we got sued. So we changed it to Ridge and that's like now, now we're Ridge. <laughs> uh, that's, Is that's that real? History. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's There's an a, amazing story. That's oh awesome. my gosh. I, I got There's one a, which won't top that. It won't top it, but it, it might be close. When Danny and Cole were, were literally like about to start selling pans, they didn't have the name yet. And, and then they just like at the last minute, Cole was like, the pans have hexagons. It's hex clad. That's it. Like literally like that. <laughs> that that's how it happened. That was it. Done deal um and it, it's it's just so funny like everyone thinks there's this grand plan around everything um but i, I the I process love, I love is usually that. a lot simpler than you think it is yeah, yeah. i'll share mine real quick we were going to start by selling on amazon we needed to register the account we came up with a name which was a terrible name i won't even say it out loud but we were going to go with it because it was available and when we actually got around to setting up the account, somebody had taken it. And so we had to pivot and come up with something. And we, in like 30 minutes, we brainstormed a bunch of ideas. And that's how we came up with Simple Modern. And for I'll the first the... eight months, what's that? Go ahead. So, go ahead. Well, yeah. I was going to say for the first eight months, my co-founders hated it. And we talked about a bunch of different names. And the only reason we didn't change it is because we couldn't align on any of the other names. And now people will tell me all the time, man, it's brilliant. I love it. And I'm like, well, my co-founders hated it for about a year. It grew on us. So in terms of things being wacky, do you know, because you mentioned Starbucks, do you know what made Starbucks? What really made Starbucks? Mm. Does anyone know? No. I'm holding it in my hand. You see that lid? You see that mm. sip lid? Mm. Really? Wasn't the, wasn't the logo. Wasn't that their coffee is good. Their coffee is terrible. I know Sean. function. Their coffee is Product. terrible. They were the first mass. Like Dunkin' Donuts is huge on the East Coast. They had that, you know, that other, that old school flippy That's top. That's stupid thing. You open it. Mm -hmm. This fucking little thing right here made Starbucks. They patented that lid, Jason? I don't know no. that they patented it, but they, they masked. They just, they were the first one. They leaned they really hard. They became known for it. Yeah. Yeah. So you right, want to the, wrap up. let's go, let's go to, I got to say, I want to tell you, I want to tell you where we came up with the name for Lomi. I got to give you that go one. For it. Oh, we got to yeah. hear this. Cause this actually had, this had some thought of it. It wasn't like a, ah, fuck it. There's nothing else. <laughs> okay. We didn't get sued. It wasn't obvious. The only ask I made of my team was I wanted a name that sounded really cute when a kid said it and his mom would go, ah, <laughs> And I swear to God, that was my ask of my team. I'm like, I don't give a shit what you call this thing. So when we, when we were making Lomi, the, the internal code name for three years before we had a name for the product and the brand was Project Beethoven. You guys ever see that movie, The Dog That Eats Everything, that giant St. Bernard? 
right? Or whatever that thing is. So we called it Project Beethoven. I'm like, well, we certainly can't call it Beethoven when it comes out. Like, I know that we're fucked if we do that. So let's name it something cute. And then um, my CMO at the time, Gareth, he's a friend of mine, just came up with the name. And he uh, was listening to Brad and I talk about mountain biking. And on the West Coast here, we have a type of dirt called loam, L-O-A-M. And it's this layer of dirt that sits on top of like hard pack that makes it really nice to run and bike on. And Gareth is like, oh, well, like if you like Wally, because like, I liked Wally, the little robot from the movie. Right, right. I'm um, like, I want that. I want the like cute little robot. And he just turned around. And he said, oh, Lomi. And we didn't, nobody even questioned it. We're like, yep, do it. Like the only thing we got to compete with is like it's a weird food somewhere in the world. I love the name Lomi, by the way. I'm a big fan. I think it's very catchy. It's short. It's easy. Two yep. syllables. Sounds yep. good. It can, be, it can be iconic. I think so. I think so. Well, it's ca- I think we can build a category around it for sure. Anyway, Jason, uh, I got a hard stop in two minutes, guys. So do you want to hit on something and finish on something or do we want to call it and save it for another? Why did Elon buy it? You got one minute. Tell us. Yeah. Okay. No. This is easy. Okay. Elon really cares about the future of humanity, okay? He genuinely does. He's a flawed human, just like we all are. To err is human, okay? But he cares about the future of humanity. And what went on during COVID with censorship on social media platforms and the incredible polarization of news, Elon said Twitter is the public town square. And he and and I genuinely believe, from the deep down, from the bottom, every every ounce of my being and soul, that he's right about that. And it's really important for the future of the world to for people to hear two sides of every story and then come to a conclusion. And we don't have to agree. I went to law school. Every single exam, we had to write both argue, both arguments, pro and against. And I, that's why Elon bought Twitter because he could afford to do that because he cared about the future of humanity. That's it. I love that, man. I think disagreement right. is a beautiful thing, and I think we should end it on that. 